Hey guys, welcome to Between the Pints, your source for the business side of craft beer. I'm your host, Aaron Gore, a.k.a. the guy who's already forgotten what a good night of sleep looks like. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host. Uh, Ryan Moses, the beer counselor. Ryan, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Um, yeah, nice, but, nice and detailed. Yeah. That, that was great. But a house. <laughs> oh, no but big deal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think we're both feeling a uh, little better this episode. I know we were yeah. recording a little early on the uh, last episode, and we're both a little strung out. You know, kid, house, <laughs> wedding, kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, definitely going to dive right in today. We got a decent bit of news to cover. We've, we've taken a little bit of time off, as I'm sure you guys noticed. Our last episode was the first one back, but we'll jump right in today. Uh, so uh, what do you got for us today, Ryan? Oh, I just have a few articles that have come up in my attention in the last few days. Um, the first one up is small breweries. There are a lot of I've breweries, heard about those. Yeah, there are a lot of breweries that want to grow big, but then there are a lot of breweries that want to stay small. And on craftbeer.com, uh, local writer Brian Richards is a local travel and food. He, he's, a, he's a great dude. I, guy, I, yeah. I didn't talk to you about it before, but like I, I've actually worked with him on some writing in the past. Yeah. Uh, he did an article in the brewery I used to help head up, and uh, no, he's, he's a really, really good dude. Yeah, he's a really good guy, and he has an article in at craftbeer.com called Four Small Breweries Happy to Stay Small. And it, he profiles Jester King, um, Upright in Oregon, Double Barley here in North Carolina, and Jackie O's in Ohio. And these are all breweries that like the size that they are. They want to stay, they have prioritized quality over quantity. And they want to keep their hands in what they're doing and stay authentic to craft beer. It's a really good article. And it's Nothing hard-hitting, but it's just, you know. And I think that speaks a lot towards the current direction of the industry. I mean, we've talked before about the fact that the long tail is by far the fastest-growing part of craft beer. I mean, regional and mid-sized breweries are really kind of taking it on the chin, yeah. whereas you're seeing like 35% growth among breweries that are producing less than 15,000 barrels a year. That is that is mar- that's huge. That is marked, and yeah. that's one of the reasons why when people say that we're you know up at about 6,800 breweries in the U.S. right now, I, I think it's less an issue of saturation because there's you know 9,000 wineries in the U.S. <laughs> uh, the big issue is just you know you're seeing this smaller, more neighborhood, cheersy yeah. kind of vibe, uh, yeah. you know, start to become predominant. Yeah, and I think that's you know, I think that was one of the first things that we noticed as we started doing the podcast is that is where the industry is going. You know, the Sierra Nevadas, your Oscar Blue, well. Sierra Oscar Blues is in a slightly different category because and Sierra Nevada has yeah. rebounded. They were yeah. ta- they were really getting their ass kicked for a couple of years, yeah. and they they they've rebounded. Even Boston Beer has uh, yeah. they 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 they've rebounded numbers wise. They just dropped so far that they're still not back up to pre twenty sixteen numbers. I'm still the beer side of Boston Beer is still not. Oh, you mean Boston Cider and Twisted <laughs> Tea Company? <laughs> yeah, like those kind of big. Mid-sized regional <laughs> breweries. Green Those flash. Are... <sighs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> we've been off two weeks and we've already mentioned green flash. Uh, no, dude, I got a feeling that's going to be like the test case in brewing like handbooks. <laughs> like fermentation sciences 101, don't be green flash. <laughs> yes. But those kind of like mid-sized national regional breweries, those are going to, those have, like we said, green flash. Those are dying. And Sierra Nevada, unless you're one of the legacy breweries like Sierra Nevada or Lagunitas or Stone, you can't survive at that size unless you get bought out by 
AB or Miller Coors. And one of those has spent a lot of money going overseas because they needed to diversify their portfolio. One of those has outside, well, not even outside investment. They're wholly owned by another company. Yeah. And, you know, so only one of those is independent. And again, they took it on the chin for about two yeah. straight years. And they're maybe the best brewery on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's. It's definitely been fascinating to watch. I and honestly, I don't think this is a bad thing at all. I mean, at the end of the yeah. day, the things we love about craft beer, the locality, the sense of place, the sense of community, the the uh, you know, the ability to really feel a personal relationship with the brewery, the brewers and the people behind it, those are all more fully realized in this kind of diversification of the industry into a lot of these smaller, more more locally focused breweries. I, I don't see this as being a bad thing, but it's definitely a thing. Yeah, that's like the thing that I my dream and want for um craft beer drinkers in this country is that everybody had has at most a 15 minute drive to a local brewery where you can get beer fresh that is what i want to see and we're getting country. close yeah. uh, in that very article he mentions that uh, your average american now lives within 10 miles of a brewery exactly. i remember it like yeah. two years ago that was i think 45 yeah. miles or something yeah. like that so that that is shrunk significantly and again, for everybody who's you know talking about you know uh, saturation, obviously in any industry you will reach a saturation point, but there's still the I mean you still got eighty percent of the beer industry being controlled by these macro brewers, so there's plenty of space to carve out there. You still have you know some of these large regional and national craft breweries who who there's still plenty of room to to sweep in there and take up uh, market space. So I don't think adding breweries is necessarily increasing saturation it's just changing the definition of what success in the industry means uh, by the way as an aside you have noticed that budweiser and ab are now calling themselves the world's largest craft brewery oh god i missed that's that start, that's starting that's that's starting to take off as people are starting to con consider them a lot of the people starting to ask the question is what they're doing good at Good for craft beer, and I think they may this, have we'll, we'll they post. may have fucked up and stumbled upon yeah. helping craft beer by pure oh avaricious accident. Yeah, like, like <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll have an episode on that because I've made public on my blog and 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 vehemently on Facebook my opinion that aside from Anheuser Busch, because I do I do still think that they are a net negative oh. by a decent margin. I personally think some of the big guys getting the game, as much as I hate it, is a is, positive. But yeah. that's a whole nother show, and we actually do have a show planned for that. So yeah. that'll be a whole discussion, because I know it's going to be me versus everyone else on the show. Uh, all right, so uh, what else you got for us? <laughs> Contract Brewing. Uh, I have an article here from Good Beer Hunting. It's actually a series of four articles from our second guest of all time, Brian Roth. Two episodes in a row we've mentioned you, Brian. You're welcome. <laughs> But he did a four-piece, um, uh, four-part uh, piece on good beer hunting about contract brewing and what it has meant and what it will mean for craft beer. And I think it's important to remember that Boston Beer and Brooklyn Brewing started off as contract brewing. Evil Twin and McKellar started off as contract brewers. It's there's nothing inherently wrong with when you, especially when you first start out with being a contract brewer. And but one of the things he points out is even after all this time, there's still this weird stigma. By the way, I love contract. that this followed immediately after we talked shit about Boston Beer Company. <laughs> we couldn't do, we did not plan that, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, so stigma about contract brewing, anyways, yeah. guys. Hey, if you've been around <laughs> for a long time and you've done stuff, you 
you might actually get brought up many times in this show in one episode. Yeah, we've mentioned Sierra Nevada almost on every single episode. It's we've been a few episodes Green since. Flash a lot. Yeah, mentioned Green Flash a lot. It's been a few episodes since we mentioned Garrett Oliver. So Garrett, here you are, buddy. <laughs> Now's your time. We're making yeah. you famous. You weren't already. <laughs> and like I said, it's... and it is fascinating to see the attitudes change a little bit. I, I think the quality of some of the gypsy brewers that are out there is really. I think that's what's helped drive it. It's like Stillwater, Grimm, who, and McKellar and Evil Twin because they had such good high quality beer. The idea of contract brewing, as far as drinkers, I think the idea of contract brewing, the stigma behind it disappeared because I think one of the things he points out in the article is, while there are people still in the industry and. the small minority of beer geeks of which we are part of may sometimes look down on contract brewing. The people drinking the beer, the 95% of the people who are coming into bars to drink craft beer just want a good beer, (laughs) which is one of the things I think it's. And some of them might even have particular pain points like Anheuser-Busch products, but you're right. At the end of the day, the biggest concern is they want something that they enjoy drinking. It's why the craft beer industry started in the first place. I mean, it is people wanting tasty beer and not having a way to get it. Yeah, the whole whole slogan of the um, Brewers Association or whatever it's called back in 1978, 1980 was. That was America's American American Homebrewers Association Association. still at the time, yeah. Yeah. Basically, it was better beer. That's that was the whole thing that Charlie Papazian talked about. They really focused the beer. hell out of that. Yeah. <laughs> and well, that was Charlie Papazian writing a book that was that talked about doing basically talking about doing something that was illegal in the country at the time. It's been a few episodes <laughs> since we talked about Charlie too, yeah. man. Like <laughs> we're really kind of getting back to those first few episodes. But yeah, the bet the idea of better beer and craft and contract brewing helped and help continues to help a lot of smaller brewers make good beer, and it's an important and an important part of what craft beer is, and it shouldn't be... It shouldn't be stigmatized. Yeah. It has a role, and I mean, there are even places that that's their primary focus. You look yeah. at Dorchester Brewing Company up in Dorchester, Massachusetts. I mean, they're doing decadent uh, brewing, which if no one's ever had anything yeah. from decadent ales, it's the most off-the-wall, batshit, crazy combinations. They had a French toast IPA, which sounds terrible, and it tasted exactly like it sounds, and yet somehow it was delicious. Uh, Like, everything they do is absolutely, well, decadent. And they couldn't Give it, especially given how expensive the ingredient costs must be on their beers. They literally could not do that without being able to contract brew and reduce costs. And I think that's one of the important things to keep in mind is that they, for a lot of people, this, this lack of startup capital allows them to get more creative. That's what fueled Grimm's early growth. That's what yeah. fueled Stillwater. That's what fueled, you know, McKellar, Evil Twin, Evil Twin uh, Fat yeah. Orange Cat. Like, there's a lot of really good breweries who need to be able to use this step to get them to the point where their beer is refined enough, uh, has, uh, you know, they've got a chance to play enough to where when they do invest that capital, they not only have a following, so they have some, you know, some security on that end. Um, but you know, it allows them to start turning out that product more consistently. That's yeah. not a bad thing. That's a, that's a good thing. I, I I feel like a lot of this criticism, like and it mentions in the article, came from brewers who had their own places and were just kind of pissed that they were at a higher risk than some of these contract yeah, brewers. Those contract brewers may have been a little bit smarter in business than you were. I'm ooh, sorry. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> shots fired, Ryan. Green flash. Yeah, green flash, green flash, green flash, green flash. That, that's going to be like our shutdown <laughs> call. Just go. Oh, no, no, green flash, green flash, green flash. <laughs> Really think about canning. I've been open for two weeks. Green flash, green flash, green flash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. What else you got? I have an article about my favorite time of the year, which will be happening in a little bit over, 
less than 30 days, the Great American Beer Festival is expanding yet again. I've noticed this because they announced that they did not sell out on the first day that tickets went on sale, which is very strange for the Great American Beer Festival. Then I found out that they've expanded another 100,000 square feet. I don't like, even know where the... I've, GABF <laughs> is... Like, they filled out that convention, sir. So if, if any of you have been to GABF, you understand why we're kind of stammering here. But for those of you who have not, GABF is fucking huge. <laughs> like, this event takes up a massive convention center. Think airport. The airport Hanger, side, basically. yeah, airport, yeah, <laughs> massive, maybe bigger. Yeah, um, absolutely packed, filled with beer. Uh, I mean, it, the competitions <laughs> alone had over eight thousand entries last year. It is an absolutely dizzying. There was, uh, I mean, just sheer number of breweries, <laughs> the sheer number of other stuff on top of that. They have, uh, you know, um, uh, they have uh, what the um, they have the conf- uh, conference not conferences. Man, I'm really having a hard time. Well, What's that thing where you have somebody get up in front of other people and tell them about other things <laughs> that they're knowledgeable about? Yeah, they have all the uh, shit. I'm blanking. Whatever that's called, yeah. they're good at that. Well, presentations. Have, there presentations, we go. Yeah. Well, they have those, and like if you go, well, um, stuff. all right. I'll just kind of break down how it looks when you go in there. You after the shock wears off. <laughs> yeah. When you're cattle herded into the, <laughs> literally, when it you're feels cattle like cattle herding into, <laughs> into the convention center, you'll you'll get your glass and you'll get your program, and then you're just set loose. But as you walk in, you'll see like. There will be a uh, place where you can buy books, a place where you can buy swag, the tasting place for the um, Pro-Am competition, the brewers, the pavilion that's in the very center, which is huge, where they like do food and beer pairings and the meet the brewers, and it's it would be its this would be its own. It'd be an event I would festival. pay money yeah. for. By <laughs> it itself. would be its own festival by itself. And then around the edges of all of this are the myriad of breweries from around the country. And not only are they expanding the number of breweries this year, they have decided for what, uh, well, I do know the reason and I'll get to that. But they have decided this year, instead of breaking down the breweries by region, they're going to put all the breweries by alphabetical order, pure alphabetical order. So, so prior to this, they were like you said, they're listed out by region. So you had Pacific Northwest, you which, had deep, deep South, you had I think Southeast. Southeast. But yeah, which is you, great because you know, if as you're I've from, said before, you want to have a plan when you go in there because there's so many fucking breweries, and it does help you kind of yeah. organize yourself. And especially like we live in the Southeast, I didn't go I to the Southeast it. section because I can drive to those. Those yeah. there's a lot easier. I went to the West Coast side. As always, my first stop was the Northwest because yep. those are the beers I'm not getting. Yep. That's the hardest ones to get. That's the first place I want to go. I feel exactly the same way. Same with uh, like the Midwest region. It's an yeah. area I don't often get up to. Uh, it's a great opportunity to try those beers. The only time I'll probably get to try those beers. Yeah. Uh, but here's the issue. If you're looking for a specific brewery, good fucking luck. Yeah, but here's it's what impossible. I think, here's what they've done. A couple of years ago, probably like four years ago, they created the MyGABF app. And I have a feeling what this is They've done this to push people to get the app because that'll be the only way you can organize what you're going to be going to drink. Oh, yeah. That, and they're gonna, and they're you gonna almost sell need your own yeah. untapped just to track. Yeah. And they're gonna, and what it actually does have is basically its own untapped on there. And they will probably, 
probably. I have a feeling what they've done is there will be myriad amounts of advertising on the GA, my GABF app. And this was one way for them to make money. And to so they did the alphabetical order, and they're going to push you to the app to make you use the app and look at all the advertising from Dickies. And, Genius. Yeah, and Deutsch and whoever else is buying all the advertising. And now part I'm, of you wants to say, I'm not going to fall for this. And the other part of you realizes, now, now wait for it, guys. <laughs> Breweries at the 2017 JBF, 2,000. 217 breweries. Yeah. Pouring nearly 4,000 different beers. And we're going to be at around 3,000 this year. Th- th- think <laughs> on that. What, what, I mean, think think on that. <laughs> Honest to God. Like, 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 think of how insane that is. Uh, that, that is just dizzying. All, almost, like, two-fifths <laughs> of the breweries in the country <laughs> will be, will be at this event pouring their best and brightest that they have done you all hope. year. You hope. I, there are some of them that I've had, and I'm like, this is what you brought? Really? <laughs> but no, it is it, it is an absolutely overwhelming event. So, I, I mean, the, to see them expand it even further, it needed to happen. I mean, we've gone from, you know, well, we were around 5,000 breweries last year to 68 fucking hundred. Yeah. Wait, wait, this has been like our strongest swearing section <laughs> in the history of the show. Like, like this, it's such an overwhelming event. This is like, so preposterous what we're talking about. Oh my god! Like all in one place, in one of the best beer cities in the country. Yeah. Uh, honestly, one of the best beer cities in the world. Like it, it is absolutely insane. The whole city turns out for it too. Yeah. Like literally, like we got off the plane, got an Uber, and he was like, "Here for GABF." Yeah. Yep. Oh, you don't have to like. You get off the plane, you go into the terminal, and then there's like a GABF booth. GABF pavilion oh, yeah. in the terminal. Try some beers. Yeah. As as you get off the oh, yeah. yeah they, 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 they want you to know what you're getting into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the other, one of the other changes, yeah, I did the alpha order, the huge size, but they've added they've added a couple things. They're doing this thing with the Jameson's Caskmates, which I can't quite figure have out. Have you had Caskmates, by yes, the way? Yes, I have. It tastes like I actually, I, I, I like, no, it, it is <laughs> not just tastes like scotch. It is some ni- nice additional roasty notes. I, you, oh, yeah. you shut your mouth. That is a damn fine Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey, Irish, Irish, Ryan. Yeah. Irish. I know all of us white people look the same, but. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways. <laughs> the other changes besides the Caskmates place is the Buffalo Wild Wings Sports Bar. Let's put it this way. This, that should just tell you how. Freaking huge this place is! Well, they're going to have an actual sports bar. They're moving a buffalo. They're moving a buff <laughs> dubs buffalo in there. Which, by, by the way, here, here's a fun fact, which I don't know if you realize, which Arby's? surprised me. No, um, no, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, the yeah. largest pourer of draft beer in the U.S. Wow. Yes, single largest. In, uh, they pour more beer than any other single entity in America. They own Arby's too. Do they really? Yes. That's why Arby's. That makes how me happy because you. I don't know if you heard, but Arby's is trying to get. I knew they were trying to get beer that's in how, there, but that's, that's how they're doing it because they're owned by that's, Buffalo Wild. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> Man, oh man, roast beef sandwiches and beer. My day just got made. My like that redefines hangover every, food. Literally every time I tell somebody that, that's their reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's not even hangover food. I can get hair of the dog with hangover food. Like that's perfect. Oh my god, I love Arby's. But, um, oh my god, yeah. And uh, speaking of other changes at GABF this year, uh, so the most entered category in the competition uh, this year uh, for the last fifteen plus years. The category with the most entries, the style with the most entries in the competition has been American IPA. I mean, it's no secret to anybody that that is the dominant style of craft beer, period. It's not even close until this year. 414 breweries have made entries into the hazy IPA category. 
<laughs> 414 breweries have made entries in a hazy IPA category. It's the first time that the, it's been a category at GABF, uh, which, you know, part of that might just be everybody wants to be the first ever winner in that category. But I think this no, is everybody is making a hazy Everybody's IPA. making a hazy <laughs> IPA. They are super in vogue right now. And I think this, if nothing else, this really does kind of drive home to people. This isn't just a fad. This is a paradigm shift. None, and every, every time people compare hazy IPAs to black IPAs, just, I, it's a real big false equivalency. <laughs> it's not even close. Like th- this is this black, is here to stay. Black IPAs, even when they were at their height, were still just a niche. Yeah, it, <laughs> there was still like the five yeah. people that you know who really who are beer geeks wanted to try, try hey, yeah. black IPA. Like, that was it. And here's the thing, like remove the the actual as, as silly as it is to say, remove the haze from a hazy IPA. Don't don't look at that. Everybody focuses on the haze, and that's the wrong thing to look at a hazy yeah. IPA. How do you take an IPA, the most popular style of craft beer in the world, and make it more palatable to a larger number of people? You drop the bitterness and you increase the juiciness. Yeah. It, it is a tailor-made style for the average craft beer drinker, not the yeah. average craft beer geek, the average craft beer drinker. It, it shouldn't surprise people it's blown up the way it has. And the fact that it was able to unseat American IPA, which I think is something no one thought would ever no. I never thought. I Honest to God, this news shocked me. Um, it, it not only has beaten it, like there's only 331 entries in American IPA, which is still a large That's number a of ridiculous entries. Number ridiculous number right there. I think last year it was like 287 or something <laughs> like that. So it's still a huge number. It's not like American IPA has taken it on the chin. No, it's just hazy IPA is that big. So instead of making fun of Haze Bros, let's just hopefully this will drive people to try making more quality Good. ones because now there's a benchmark. Now there's a standard. Now there's a tension you can get if you have a, a really high quality one. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's why I'm hoping that we are able to get out of this because that's just an absolute paradigm shift. Yeah, But I will say this also well, this also lets me talk about my favorite uh, my favorite thought about the categories at GAVF, which is you can call your you can enter your beer in whatever category you'd like. So if you're really hunting for a medal, you're not gonna put it you're gonna put it in like fruit beer or American field beer. Strong, field beer. I, field I've been, beer I've been saying one. for years if you and that dude, I'll tell you what, that's <laughs> the one we entered our uh, peanut butter amber uh, when I was r- helping run a brewery. Like that was the one we uh, we made sure we entered because if you're hunting for a medal, and a lot of times too, it does. It yeah. doesn't matter what category you're in, it, like it, as long as you get a medal. Yep. Uh, dude, Field Beer has had every year. It has the least entries. Most people don't even know what the hell it is, and no one looks at what category you won. Yeah. Won your uh, your medal in, especially for something as broad as Field Beer, because it covers so much. <laughs> that that yeah. mean nothing. Yeah. To, like, it's it's basically people. vegetable yeah. and nut beer. That's <laughs> it. They're like some spiced beers. Like like it's such a. It, it, People really need to be smarter, man. Like Hazy IPA, unless you are confident that yours is the best in the freaking country, you'd be way better off entering like <laughs> any other beer. You'd be better off entering that into like pale ale. You'd almost <laughs> be better off entering your Hazy IPA into field beer and just hoping that you get some <laughs> dumbass judges who wind up taking a risk. Like, like, like just roll the dice there, guys. Like percentage-wise. Yeah, this is just, our hazy grapefruit yeah. ale. <laughs> Oh, uh, hazy butternut squash IPA. <laughs> oh man, so so yeah, that that has really been fun to watch. Oh, uh, got anything else for us, Ryan? Oh, one that I think will segue into something you're going to talk about is Constellation Brands. Hey, I've heard of those guys. You mean makers Ma- of my favorite donkey piss Corona? <laughs> hey, I will ride for 
Modelo Negro. No, I actually, I actually, yeah. I even like Modelo Special is yeah. a perfectly fine fizzy yellow beer. I, I have no issue with Modelo, <laughs> dude. Like none. But Corona's trash. Modelo is perfectly fine. But Constellation is starting to ride the green wave all the way to Canada, and they have invested. Well, they invested green wave guys, not green flash. They invested a huge ton of money in October into this company called Canopy, and they've like now, as of last week, they have now <laughs> purchased. Up to I think it's almost forty percent of this company canopy. So what, what does, does canopy, canopy make? Do? They are a marijuana distributorship. This is probably the best way to put it. A marijuana farm and distributor. The devil's grass. Wacky tobacco. They are like the they are might be the fastest growing company in Canada, period. Oh, they <laughs> at they, this point. <laughs> four billion dollars for a buyout yes. in a company that's involved in an industry that just became legal oh no it becomes legal in two weeks that's true it's true <laughs> it's a, it's only just become approved to become legal it's not even legal yet this yeah. is this is not just a good faith buy-in like this is showing a yeah. serious like the amount a four billion dollar deal the amount of of people involved in touching the business plans and making sure that this is something <laughs> that will work like this would act if this didn't pay off, this would be one of the most monumentally failed investments it's, it's, ever. It pay off the board of Constellation Brands. It's all getting fired. Yeah, because because four billion dollars. And here's the thing: I don't think they're overpaying. Oh no, they've historically tended to overpay for stuff. I don't think Ballast they are point. here. This is yeah, ba- Ballast, Ballast Point, point. <laughs> Funky Buddha, Four Corners. But <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, like like this is. They have a really good quote in there, and I don't have it right in front of me. I know you do, where he says that the there's only going to be one Google in this field, and everybody else is going to be scrambling for the number two and the number three spot. And he's a they're a hundred percent right. There will be one company that hops out of the gate that you know catches the zeitgeist at the right time, that has the best plan for monetizing this, and that resonates the most with the consumer base. And they are going to grow to. 35% market share overnight. Yeah. Like, it, it is going to be market. And the countdown clock for when marijuana will be legal in all 50 states begins in two weeks. Because as soon as it becomes legal in Canada, it's 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 going to happen. Yeah, it's it's going to happen. Yeah, like, it, prohibition ended partly because people were still drinking liquor that was coming straight out of Canada. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to happen now. People are going to get slightly cheaper marijuana in Canada or Colorado. Honestly. So that's a whole well, yeah, true. That's a whole lot of tax revenue that all of a yeah, sudden is going to start going across the border. That's exactly and what it comes down to. If there is one thing that speaks more to even even you know red politicians than the color red, it's the color green. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't care who you are, you start seeing all that money flee from your districts, and uh, people start taking notice. Yeah. Pop the cap in North Carolina didn't come about because your legislators really thought that craft beer was great. It came up because they figured out a way that we might be able to make money from this. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we might be able to direct that money into the state instead of towards yeah. other states. Yeah. Or just leaving it on the table, which is, is uh, that, that has some significance. Yeah. So, going yeah. back to Prohibition just for a second, yes. dude, it's the funniest thing. Like People forget that Canada actually did have a Prohibition as well. It yeah. just uh, it, it had slightly different rules and it didn't last as long as the U.S.'s. Ironically, a prohibition because dude, yeah, Canada. There's actually screwed them up way worse, dude. They, yeah, it did. The cider industry, they literally forgot to include a provision when they repealed prohibition ah. to re-legalize cider. It took until the 70s before cider was legal again due to a clerical oversight. Like, yeah. they, they re- prohibition screwed up Canada bad. And some of their, like, provincial laws that 
governing beer is. Yeah, we think our state stuff is. Yeah, dude, we think. I was watching a documentary <laughs> on beer in Nova Scotia, and it, <laughs> dude, it, which is random thing to have a documentary on. It was actually really. It was actually really good, dude. It's actually a really good documentary. It's on. Uh, Am- I, I saw it on Amazon, I think. But okay. actually, uh, I think I was like was scrolling through. I got a Roku, so I was scrolling. Yeah, through yeah, it's, a couple it's days pretty ago, good. I think it popped up. It, it's. It, I would definitely recommend watching. I'll, I'll have to look up the name of it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they they were talking about some of the the hoops you have to jump through. They're like, yeah, here in Nova Scotia, we have actually some of the more permissive laws. We still can't sell our shit. <laughs> and the only place we like Ontario, literally, uh, the three largest brewery, like Molson Coors, Anheuser Busch, yep. and uh, I think it's Carling owns Carling, the yeah. the remainder. They literally between the three of them own the state-run liquor stores so you cannot sell craft beer unless you sell it through a state-run liquor store and then you cannot and and literally that's owned by the people who least want you to succeed (laughs) what (laughs) we're we're getting again tangent green wave it's yeah (laughs) green wave it's between the pines these things happen Corona investing. It'll be. It'll definitely be fascinating to see how this goes on. I think you're going to see a lot more of these big macro brewers starting to invest in marijuana because it's it's one of those you either get in on this or you get market share taken out by this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, marijuana is going to. I see a lot of people who who love both beer and marijuana, and they're like, no, 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 they're they're not going to take from each other. They are. It, it, marijuana is going to cannibalize the fuck out of beer, and, and that's not me having an issue with marijuana at all. I, I'm all in favor of legalization without yeah, us turning it into that kind of show. Yeah, but it, it's going to take a hit at a craft beer. Yeah, and we need to be prepared for that. Uh, and the companies that do prepare for that are going to be a lot better off. And I will say it was funny that that article came out, and then the very next day another article about Constellation came out that I think you wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah. So Constellation Brands, uh, they decided to lay off. <laughs> 60 of its 100 uh, people who specialize in pushing their craft beer brands, that is Ballast Point, Funky Buddha, uh, Four Corners, sacked right out on their asses. The remainder were basically rolled into more general sales roles, given yeah. much larger, almost like unreasonably large territories. Yeah. Uh, their goal basically is to to basically fold everything into a Constellation portfolio, which is... Same thing that AB has done. Except that AB, it, they, they fired a lot of their high-end people, but they kept some on, and yeah, they, they they actually separated it into an entirely, entirely yeah. independent sector. It's weird to hear me defending AB. <laughs> but, it, yeah, it, it, they're, they were kind of rolling everything into a Constellation portfolio, which I, I kind of question, because at the end of the day, the people who are buying, you know, and I mean like the retailers, the retailers who are buying Corona, Modelo, they're not the same retailers who are buying Ballast, Ballast Point, Point Funky, Funky Buddha. And there's only so much time that your salespeople are going to have to to spend at each of these locations. Especially when 75% of your bonus is going to come from you from selling Corona Modelo. Modelo. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to see, I got a feeling, their, their craft sales drop, which is just a fascinating thing to see immediately after Four Corners got purchased. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they're just trying... The only thing I can think of, because they, they definitely overpaid for ballast point that's why they took a hit against the value yeah. six months later yeah uh, it'll be fascinating to watch what they do now because it this really leaves me with the impression that they're just trying to pad their portfolio in order to gobble up the you know opportunity taps essentially yeah. which that is very abi-ish of them yeah that is that is not heineken ish that's not Mahosemigelish. That is a very ABI-ish move, and it's one of the first major ABI-ish moves any of the other macros have taken. I was going to say, this leads back to a conversation you, me, and Neil Gimmon had, where you were saying... Separate episode, Ryan! Separate episode! (laughs) Don't call me out on this episode, that's for later. 
well, we'll probably have this. Uh, th- I'm sure. Yeah. Basically, you were saying that you didn't mind what Constellation and Heineken and even Miller Coors did because they weren't as brazen as ABI and Neil and I were both. They like, weren't trying to gobble up Neil craft beer like, itself. They're still a kaiju. They're, they're all kaijus. They're, some are just not as. Some are Godzilla instead of you know Ghidra, but it's still a giant still fucking a, lizard. Still a giant lizard that yeah. wants to eat you in the and end. And honestly, <laughs> honestly, at the end of the day, too, they're they're still they're not taking loss leads on any of this. I mean, at the yeah. end, of, hell, Ballast Point's overpriced, uh, so they're not taking loss leads on any of this stuff. So they're not you know gobbling up on fair market share. Uh, the other possibility, and the reason I'm in support of some of these larger breweries uh, still participating in the the specialty market, aka what craft beer is a major part of, is that. Ballast Point, Funky Buddha, Four Corners, yes, the people who are buying those are different people than are buying Corona Modelo. But I don't see this as being... So what's going to happen here is a lot of craft breweries are not well-equipped to participate in the Applebee's, the Chili's markets. They're not equipped to participate in the Mexican food market. Um, Mexican restaurants don't want diverse beer menus because that's not the demographic they're reaching out to traditionally. They tend to reach out to people who want either things that they're used to drinking or things that definitely kind of fit their their profile. So one or two craft options is all they need. If they're able to offer all that in one package... The, yeah. the, we're really getting to the argument for the later episode, but really, 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 <laughs> I this this is a move to watch. I think that there's still plenty of room for this to be not only innocuous but actually help craft beer as a whole by helping to still occupy those spaces and keep it, it, it keep craft beer mainstream. Because the moment that the zeitgeist passes, if people forget about craft beer, yeah. industry collapses. Yeah, and I think that's why I have the idea of percolating somewhere. I'm trying to figure out how to write it, but the idea of maybe like I, I think the way I said it is, maybe because of their avar- it's an avaricious accident that ABI may have become the may have set the pattern of how craft beer will be saved and grow through the future because They've effed up and bought Goose Island, and now they've bought all this other stuff. And now they're, as I said, they're kind of starting to call themselves the biggest craft brewer in the world. <laughs> and it, they may have stumbled into helping craft beer as they tried to kill it. <laughs> it'll, it'll be fascinating to watch. I, I got my own thoughts on that argument. I, I think it's a short-sighted argument. Oh, um, because probably. Because I, I, I got a feeling... It, Craft, they only become the way craft beer survives if they kill craft beer. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but it, it, like that will be the last message, and I think they'll they'll probably wind up divesting themselves of a lot of those uh, brands if they wind up killing craft beer. Um, uh, I think they're tools in the toolbox yeah. right now. Um, yeah. They they've proven themselves pretty ready to do that in the past. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> they're they're going to do whatever is best to keep ABI alive. Damn you, businesses! <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, in other news, (laughs) uh, so Stone Brewing is actually uh, placing an injunction against Miller Coors. Oh, God. I I know this thing just will (laughs) not go away. They're trying to basically get uh, Stone to stop, uh, basically (laughs) trying to get them to stop using the term Stone at all in their advertisement, even though, you know, 
Here, here's my thing. I was all in favor of Stone when this thing first came out. Miller Coors came firing back with actually a very, very good yeah. argument for why this is a frivolous lawsuit. And they made some good points. Stone hasn't defended this trademark in 20 plus years. They have actually been using the term Stone for their beer longer than Stone Brewing. Um, the, the cases where they're saying that it's an isolated term, most of them are like the, on the cans. Yeah. It still says key. It yeah, does say stone, stone prominently. Right. I can see yeah. where people might get confused, but I can also see how there's wiggle room there. It's it's. You got to imagine that whenever like the Miller Coors lawyers start talking about this, they're like, they still want to fight. Okay, we have something. Yeah, else we can do that. We can do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, Stone's going to wind up losing this lawsuit. They're going to lose this. This injunction's going to get thrown right out. It, it's just at this point, Greg Cook's. Are, He's honestly kind of embarrassing himself and kind of embarrassing craft beer. Like, I, I, I hate saying that. I respect the hell out of the man. I respect the hell out of the company. But it, it's it's a shame to watch. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I didn't. I saw an episode of Untapped from a, not Untapped, but Chopped from a couple of years ago. And he served as the guest judge. I actually saw that same episode. I got Tickle Pink, man. Yeah. I, lo- I love that show. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Dude, love watched, that show. Un- chopped in the last couple of weeks. But, oh, dude, anyway. that, that's, yeah, I've learned more about cooking from Chopped, I swear to God. <laughs> like, like, oh, what do you do with jackfruit? Well, I watched an episode of Chopped with it. Uh, Golden Road, speaking of ABI brands, Golden Road's uh, taproom in Sacramento that they have had troubles with at every stage. For one, McGill, the owner of Golden Road, is the... When you Fuck like, her. Basically, if you <laughs> act like a jackass, people will treat you like a jackass. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's. Uh, there's an argument made. She's the biggest jackass in the beer industry. Yeah. She 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 sucks. <laughs> <laughs> she she's constantly criticizing craft beer as a whole, in spite of the fact that she founded a craft brewery. She's constantly critiquing homebrewers, in spite of the fact she hosts one of the largest homebrew uh, competitions in the country. She's constantly you know uh, touting ABI's company line. She's insulting the neighborhood she's trying to open the tap rooms in. So they finally got the permitting to open the ta- Sacramento tap room. It finally went ahead in spite of like a massive movement from the city of Sacramento to get her to stop. <laughs> and they've already gotten in trouble for violating noise ordinances. They had to re- redo their times to close much earlier in order to, uh, you know, basically keep from falling into the noise noise ordinance. So you had to fight tooth and nail to get this permit. And then you don't do things to like, you don't, basically follow every rule to the letter to make sure you don't Oh, yeah, you'd think they would have been extra think- cautious. <laughs> by, by the way, now would probably be a good time to mention that they have a brewing permit, and part of the requirement for being a taproom in California and being able to act as a, a supplier slash taproom is you have to supply. Uh, they're still not brewing they're out of that taproom. They, yeah, they, <laughs> they uh, failed to meet the deadline on that, so there's even talk about possibly shutting down this taproom, and personally, I'm okay with it. I, I thought their beer was overrated even before they got bought, Yeah. Um, and, and it's... God, she sucks. There's a couple of ABI purchases where I'm like, Dad, don't... Sure, you want to buy that? Go ahead. Yeah, some of I them drink it before. More. I'm not going to drink it now. Especially, there, there was a couple of those like ones around the middle where they were going on a buying <laughs> spree. Like Elysian makes made sense. Space yeah. Dust was huge in the yeah. Northwest. Uh, Ten Barrel made sense. They they were kind of they, in a lot of ways they're kind of Portland's wicked weed in some ways. Not yeah. nearly as vaunted, but they had a similar kind of reputation. Devil's Backbone surprised me. Uh, Blue Point actually really surprised me. I that was one of their earliest ones. And Breckenridge, yeah. what the hell were they thinking? That had to be a distribution thing. Yeah, they even had a, so. a handful of really good beers, but it's just they, there was no there was no energy yeah. around the Breckenridge purchase. A lot of people even forget they bought them. <laughs> Everybody but the people in Colorado at the Colorado Brewers Guild. <laughs> those, yeah. those are the only people that remember that Breckenridge. Oh yeah, because that created a huge <laughs> fight there. <laughs> oh man. 
Yeah, it was, it was de- it's definitely fascinating to watch. Uh, Jim Cook, speaking of him again, had a sit-down meeting with uh, Donald Trump uh, recently, which that this kind of came out of nowhere, and I won't do a deep dive on it. He praised the tax cuts, which really did help crappier quite a bit. Didn't say a word about the tariffs, which the are tax hurting. Cuts that Donald Trump had nothing to do with. Had nothing to do with. We're already in motion. We're already questionable for a lot of other reasons and wound up uh, being completely and then some offset by the tariffs that wound up hurting the steel and aluminum industries. That were created solely by Donald Trump. That were created solely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, that, he came under some, from some fire for that, uh, for being not critical really at all. Uh, it, actually, it was kind of a fluff campaign by Jim Cook, yeah. and actually the mayor of Somerville, <laughs> Somerville, Massachusetts, funny. yeah, fucking <laughs> Somerville, uh, <laughs> he has actually banned Sam Adams for the city in response, which I think is the most hilarious, <laughs> most Boston area yes. move a person could possibly make. Take offense and just like shoot your foot. Fuck <laughs> you. <Yeah. laughs> just take immediate offense at something. Oh my god. Go yeah, that that's 180 just miles. Absolutely hilarious. Like that story was just fascinating to watch unfold. That was just a curious situation. Uh, the uh, Mega Brew merger, so Anheuser Busch and um, Sab Miller's yeah. uh, meeting of the minds, so to speak. Uh, there was an antitrust lawsuit brought out by some beer drinkers in uh, Portland, Oregon. It was it found some support from the BA as well as the National Beer Wholesalers Alliance. So again, this is one of the few cases where the two of them really get along. And they were basically arguing that, yeah, this is a fucking monopoly. Well, uh, yeah, 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 it really is. It fits yeah. every legal definition thereof. Uh, so they wound up bringing it to the court. It got thrown out predictively. Uh, their big argument was that uh, 72% of the, of the market is currently owned by Anheuser-Busch, uh, SAB Miller, and Molson Coors, which is accurate. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's a really, really a fascinating thing to watch. Uh, Canadian craft brewers, they're facing a shortage of aluminum cans. So, so here's how stupid this fucking story is. Okay, <laughs> this one made me like outright angry. So we just mentioned the, uh, the aluminum tariffs has been a huge problem. So there's been an issue of rising can prices here in the U.S. We have most of the aluminum can makers, uh, especially most of the large ones in the world. Big issue yeah. is most of our aluminum comes from Canada, which is one of the largest aluminum producers in the world. But Canada has no can producers, <laughs> just aluminum producers. We have no aluminum producers, just can producers. So these tariffs have made it so that we can't get aluminum to make cans, and, and Canada they, they can't get, get cans, cans out of their aluminum. <laughs> so now Canadian craft breweries can't get enough cans to satisfy their needs. They're facing a massive can shortage. Prices have risen out of control. The prices in the U.S. have already risen. Like, this is the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Again, it goes back to you can't make policy based on one single, can't make economic policy based on one piece of the mark, one piece of your whole total like market segment. You you made a policy based on aluminum and steel, without any knowledge or conception that what happens in that sector will affect pretty much every yeah. other sector steel, in the United States steel economy. Is, steel especially. Like, there have been people <laughs> who said, you know, we have the Bronze Age, the Iron Age. We are in the Steel Age. Yeah. Like, everything runs on steel. You put a tariff on that, you've effectively put a tariff on everything. Like my worst subject, my worst sociology subject in college was economics. And even I know you can't <laughs> do this. <laughs> oh, oh man, yeah, it's just, we need to move on to a different story. <laughs> That, the, the moment I saw that, just make like Canada is like the second or third largest producer of aluminum in the world, and they and can't they, get aluminum cans. That's the stupidest story I've ever because, heard. Because the country they sell their most of their aluminum <sighs> to 
can't sell them their own cans back. I, I just, it, it's, it is dizzyingly stupid. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, oh man, I'm not even going to get into the fact that this will drive price drops on aluminum, which will defeat the terror. You know what? You know, you know what? We don't have time. We don't have time. I don't have energy. I have a kid. Uh, National Beer Wholesalers Association released another uh, issue of their beer purchaser index. We've mentioned this a few times on the show. It's basically an indication of growth patterns and uh, decline patterns within you know, the beer and cider uh, industries, as well as flavor malt beverages, etc. Uh, so just uh, some uh, quick notes off of that. Uh, the cider industry which collapsed in 2017. I mean, they were showing an index rating of 17. Anything below 50 is shrinking. Anything above 50 is growing. They're up to about 48. So it's almost stabilized, which <laughs> is a good thing. Uh, that, that was I, I would imagine Angry Orchard has a huge uh, hand in that with the rosé cider that they make. Uh, the flavored malt beverages, sweet Jesus, they went from 52, so showing very small amounts of growth. And th- this also counts like, you know, spike seltzers and the like. Yeah. Sixty-eight, which is that's rocket growth. Like that, that is just springing up. Yeah, that's just spike seltzers. That is not your faux loco. That is just spike seltzers that is going up. Oh yeah, it's just absolutely, <laughs> absolutely insane. Yeah, spike seltzers are doing like so good right now. Yeah, spike sodas have completely died. Spike seltzers are like totally yeah. the new thing. Everybody create your own brand, and then we'll watch that collapse too. Yeah, I mean that's that's the cycle of that particular segment. I think. I I I, I definitely definitely agree. Sorry, uh, cider index was actually at forty-six. Uh, imports are down four points, but they're still uh, they're still at seventy one, so it's still massive growth. And don't don't take that to mean that they're selling more Rodenbach guys. That that's that means they're all selling more Corona. Corona. <laughs> all, <laughs> all Corona, a little drink. bit of Australia Jalisco, but like that's, yeah, that's that is it. all you know premium and sub premium Mexican brands. That, that none of that is not none of that's the good shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it, it's been fun to watch. Uh, 66 was cr- uh, the craft beer index. So, again, still growing, and it's uh, definitely better than it was last year, yeah. which, again, I, I, I told people this at the start of the year. This would be a year for contraction, a year where we'd see a lot of closures, but this isn't the end of growth, and growth is definitely going to pick up and accelerate again at least for a couple more years. Especially if we just went through that Shake change. Out. Yeah, the change phase where we went from, again, being a purely niche market segment to being a real part of the market and once that ha- market and once that happens you become a you have to start doing things like a real business and start thinking of your growth and your as like a real business where you're way 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 you're 12 percent you, you can't just make beer and have year. guaranteed success yeah. well this is news to me and every person who yeah. started a brewery in the last 10 years yeah you're 12 you're 12 to 15 percent growth year over year is not is astronomical asinine and is not going to continue if you don't understand basic financial concepts and you don't have a written business plan going in you should not have a brewery it's it's if you don't if if i say the word ebitda and you look at me with an absolute blank face rather than understanding what that means that's the only number that should matter so so it's like you're starting off from the point where where you don't have the basics and it's not this isn't critique you can get there like like i'm I'm a three-time college dropout (laughs) going for the record i'm just saying like you have the potential it's just about like you know, be an autodidact, you know, do some self-study, do some self-education, teach yourself, take a class maybe even if you need to, but, you know, you need to know this shit before you yeah. open up your own place. Yeah. Uh, all right, so recommendations. What do you got for us today, Ryan? I'm going to recommend the Lancaster Brewing Milk Stout out of Philadelphia. 
my fiance brought me a six pack back. I I just had someone offer to bring me some back yesterday. It is delicious. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. I had some in my fridge about uh, three months ago. Don, you'll remember when you brought that to me. (laughs) Remind me off air. It's a nice, light, easy drinking milk stout. You can just. yeah, you can just sit and pound a couple of these easily. And top to bottom, they they do some really good stuff at Lancaster yeah. Brewing. That's actually become a bit of a small food mecca in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Um, well, and they're makes, well, if you think about it, it makes sense because they have all the cows and farm animals <laughs> you really need. I mean, yeah, yeah. bluntly, the meat's good. We <laughs> we go out and kill it before your meal. Uh, <laughs> Not wrong, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, their their brewing scene's actually picked up a bit too. And yeah, no, everything I've had from Lancaster has been really good. They have a shoe fly porter that is absolutely fantastic. So I definitely recommend people check them out if you get a chance. Uh, for mine, I'm going to recommend the Pennsylvania Tuxedo from Dogfish Head. I mean, it's no mm-hmm. secret Dogfish Head's a great brewery. I'm still a huge fan of a lot of their crazy shit. I know yeah. like everybody focuses on you know 60, 90, 120, or some of their more by the book offerings. Sequential, Sequential, which has been huge yeah. for them and is absolutely delicious. Uh, but for me, man, this is a uh, pale ale. They call it, they call it a pale ale. This thing's eight and a half percent. This is this is an imperial pale ale. ale. Yeah, that this, is a strong. Yeah, ale. this is this is a light colored American that's strong the, ale. That's the category you enter it in the GABF. Yes, so you can win a medal. yeah. Strong this, ale. this is a strong <laughs> ale infused with uh, native Delaware uh, spruce tips. Oh no, that would be a field beer. That would be a field. <laughs> <laughs> and you won a medal. Uh, uh, so so here we got this big, slightly malty. Piney, resiny, slightly citrusy, just delicious beer. I paired it with jerk chicken because that's what I had in front of me. It wasn't planned. <laughs> I'll be damned, dude. It went. Nothing Garrett Oliver has said has prepared me for how well this paired because that does not add up. But I'll, I'll be, I'll be damned. That it was just a beautiful pairing. Uh, it was, you know, not a regular release from them, but you can find, I think it's once a year from them and, uh, definitely worth looking up. It's a big beer, but it's, it's not boozy and it's got some good complexity and you really can, a lot of people see spruce tips and they're like, well, why don't you just use piney hops? Now there, there's a qualitative difference between the two of them. There's an earthiness to spruce tips that even the, and you know more earthy English hops don't really yeah. ape well, so I, I I've, I'm a huge fan of this one. I thought they really knocked it out of the park. Not that I expect anything else from Dogfish Heads, and you know, yeah. Sam Clagione's still one of my heroes in beer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so non-beer recommendation, my friend. Oh, I do have a cider recommendation. The Ooh, that, you, this is the first time you've come with one, and I haven't. Yeah. I've been <laughs> locked up with a baby. So. Yeah. I had the Shakespeare Ginger Spritz, Ooh. and again. Like you just mentioned, your beer with the um, jerk chicken. I had this with curry, curried vegetables. I love curry. And this, like the ginger, ginger and curry? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. It, this nice, light, dry cider with a little hint of ginger. And honestly, apple and curry yeah. go great together anyways. A lot, a lot yeah. of people don't get a spiced applesauce and set it next to like a traditional curry. There's a lot of similar tastes going on or at least complimentary tastes so uh or applesauce rather you get spiced applesauce put next to like a traditional curry so at, like cider pairs beautifully yeah. with curry yeah apple and generally pairs beautifully with curry but yeah so not, like i said there's actually uh they have a few different styles of the spritz but uh, this was the ginger that i had and they're all really good but this one just was particularly good with the meal pairing that i had and shaksbury is a fantastic cidery yeah. they they get 
people kind of overlook them sometimes because they do wide distribution. They're distributed basically throughout the East Coast, but yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan of most of what they make. And even they're just blanket Shaxbury Dry, fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah, they definitely a cidery worth checking out, especially if you're trying to get into ciders and you've never been a fan because they've always been too sweet. They're definitely a good place to go. Yeah, a so. good draw ciders. Yeah. So I don't have a cider option because I have failed in my duties, um, mostly because I've had to deal with changing too many duties. Ah, see what I did there, guys? The dad jokes have already started. <laughs> but I do have a non-beer recommendation. It's actually it's a show called Gallivant. Uh, this show only lasted for have – you, have you heard of it? Okay, so, I know exactly what it is. Yeah, so this it only lasted for two seasons. It was 2015, 2016, got canceled after that. You know, There's only eight episodes in the first season, ten episodes in the second season. It's like this was – don't go into this expecting you're going to be binging this forever. Like this, this was definitely a short run. But imagine if someone made a TV show of Robin Hood Men in Tights with a this little more exactly music this, and this just is, all this is. It really is, and it, it is. is spectacular. I, I wasn't expecting much out of it. I just I like Timothy Omenson, uh, the yeah. guy who plays Lassie in uh, Psych, which is one of our favorite shows. So we wanted to go. I love <laughs> that show. Um, seen every episode at least four times. That we have. Not nearly enough hobbies, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he's one of the characters in it. And we were like, you know what? Screw it, we're out of shows. We'll give this a try. It's fantastic. Thirty minute episodes, real nice and light. It's a short series, but if you're someone who loved Doctor Horrible sing along blog, or you loved, um, you love any of those light, easy musicals, or you've really enjoyed like Robin Hood Men in Tights or any Mel Brooks stuff, it's got that very similar sense of humor. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. A little bit of Monty Python in there. And I like how you said, yeah, screw it, we're out of shows. We'll just go ahead and watch this. That's actually how it got on the air. Is, yeah, well, yeah, because it was a mid-season replacement yeah, for like, Once yeah, Upon a Time. It, yeah, they 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 put on. Doesn't yeah, do. We'll just burn these off. Throw something there in the hiatus. It'll be great. And yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely worth picking up. Uh, it's re- man, it is apparently it's got a real strong following. Yeah. Like it's got that kind of Firefly-like niche following. Yeah. I'll be curious to see if it gets picked up as like a Netflix show because it's not so far away like Firefly is. It'd be hard to get all the cast together. I, th- I think it, I think it'd be doable. The only issue yeah. is Timothy Omenson had his. He had a stroke, so it's, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of out of action. But yeah. uh, what do you got for us? Oh, indeed, my last. We ended on a dark note on that one, uh, by the well, way. My last, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my last uh, recommendation is Cork Dork. I think I talked about it before. Yes, not, uh, I believe this is a book you recommended yeah. that you said you were reading last time. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just going to go ahead and recommend it again because I finished it, and it's even if you're not into wine. If you are a person who is really into craft beer, and especially if you're someone who's studying for the Cicerone exam, I suggest, you know, take a break and read this book. It's a pretty easy read, but it goes through a lot of the, not only the sensory things that are important to beer tasting, but it also goes into a lot of the ideas of why people gravitate towards wine and gravitate toward towards craft beer and gravitates towards a lot of the niche geeky things that we do well it's just it gets into the heads of a lot of the potential psalms and how they're basically beer geeks comic book geeks they're just we're all of the same geeks is really really what we've uh which i think speaks to us too i mean look at the things we talk about on this show like i i talk about video games a lot we talk about comic books a lot we we talk watching frankenstein chronicles no, which is actually very, very good. I mean, yeah. it's Sean Bean. Enough said. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't die in the first or second episode. So. Surprised the fuck out of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie. I turned it on, and my wife was like, you know, what are you watching? And I was like, uh, it's some show about Frankenstein. Sean Bean's in it, so I'm expecting him to get <laughs> killed and Come turned into Frankenstein by the end of the first episode. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, no, it's but, it's it's really good show. But yeah, Cork Drunk is a pretty easy read, and it it does give me. It has renewed my want and desire to pass the Cicerone exam, and that's actually kind of why Leah recommended it to me because she knew I was two points away and I was just not feeling anymore. She's like, "Read this book. I think it'll help you." And she was right. And, and apathy is the most dangerous. It, it doesn't matter if it's Cicerone or, or whatever. Like, it, it's amazing how butting your head up against a wall a couple times can make you start looking for a door. Like, it, yeah. it's sometimes you do have to just climb that fucking wall. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually planning within the next year. So I'm, I'm, I'm spacing out because you know, new kid, moving to a new house. But I'm planning on taking the advanced sometime this year, and that was one of those things I thought was going to be more like a five year plan. But yeah. uh, you know, I got the time. I'm plowing through the Oxford yep. Companion to Beer, which yeah, don't read encyclopedias, kids. <laughs> Boy, that's that's a long read. Well, that's how. I ended up how I am. Is reading yeah, the that's true, too. I, I, yeah, kid, I used so. to read Encyclopedia Britannica, too. <laughs> yeah, dude, every school year, I used to sit down, and like in my history class, they'd give us the textbook. I'd read the whole textbook cover to cover and then never open it again. Like, that's <laughs> wow, we, we are nerds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, guys, thanks for joining us on the show. I promise. Uh, I have a wife, and we have a kid, so you know we had sex at least once. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're nerds, but we're successful nerds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, join us again on our next episode. Uh, definitely looking forward to having you guys back. We'll be talking about part two of our uh, deep dive into rating systems like Untapped and whether or not they're beneficial to the business and in what ways they are or are not. Uh, they, uh, Ryan, you got anything to send us off with? Where can they find you online? Uh, BeerCounselor.net and CraftConsulting.beer and the website Medium for some of my other writing pretty soon. You write about things other than beer? Well, no, it's going to be about beer. Okay, there we go. There, that's all I really <laughs> wanted to know. Uh, and you can find me, guys, at uh, www.liquidassets.blog, and you can find us online at www.tweenthepints.com. Cheers, y'all. Sponsor.